fantastic. So I want to talk about the power of generosity. Um, And let's start with a dictionary definition. Here we go. The virtue of being unattached to material possessions often symbolized by the giving of gifts. Now, it's not often I open up my dictionary and read a definition and think, oh, that's lovely. Um, But I did. I thought, what a beautiful definition. The virtue, interesting language, of being unattached. In other words, generosity requires freedom and generosity brings about freedom. Here's a biblical definition that I created from nowhere. Um, Loving people sacrificially with our resources. So the Hebrew word for love is ahava. Should we say that together? Ahava. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, So the Hebrew word for love means to give. In other words, to love some, it requires us to give something of our very selves and our resources to them. So here's the three reasons why I believe generosity has the power to change the world. I've already mentioned the first one then is giving communicates love. So when we give a gift, the standard response is to say thank you. We are grateful for the gift, but more than that, we recognize that the gift is a demonstration of love, what we're more grateful for is this token of affection and love. Let me just give you some really simple examples. So this bracelet, I don't know if you can see it in the balconies or at the back. Should a 40-year-old man outside the surfing community wear a bracelet like this? Probably not, right? Let's just be honest. Probably not. Um, So when I was given this bracelet during the summer, I got back to the KXC offices and the banter began like, oh, how was your gap year, Pete? Did you have a good time? Oh, how was your time in Hawaii was the surf really good and I kind of like let them roll with it for a little while and then I did a smackdown and said it was a gift from my son um, which was an awkward moment Um, but my son basically went into a shop when we were on a holiday he bought two of these bracelets he came up to me said one's for you dad one's for me and and we can wear them together as, as a kind of symbol of our friendship now I was like oh that's gone deep and even though it doesn't look great it feels great so the, this, this is actually really precious to me. Give you another example. This jacket. This is my favorite piece of clothing from my wardrobe. I absolutely love this jacket. And this jacket was a gift. So I'm part of a group of pastors. For the last eight years, every May, we get together, pastors from all all over the world, um, and and we basically pray for one another. And we wrestle with the scriptures, and we wrestle with the surrounding culture and what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus in a cultural moment like this. We drink beer, we laugh, we cry, we compare stories of, of experiences in ministry. It's like a detoxing moment and a place of encounter and deep friendship. Now, as part of that friendship they gave me this jacket now check this out on the inside of the jacket are the 12 names of of the pastors in this community Um, now this was taken this idea from the Jesuit community so when Jesuit ministries were sent on mission to hostile territory they would um, sew into their clothing the names of their brothers so that they would wear their brothers close to their heart so when persecution kicked in when adversity kicked in they knew they weren't alone Their brothers were praying with them, standing with them. Don't you love that idea? So this for me is incredibly special. These guys, I I do life with them. They are close to my heart. There is a problem with the jacket. 
And the problem with the jacket is I have a sweat problem. So under the armpit, I don't know if you can see it, it's actually falling apart, which is it is kind of breaking my heart. Now, side story, when B and I met almost 20 years ago and started dating, um, I noticed that my sweat problem somewhat was amplified and that whenever I was in the presence of B, I started to sweat more. I don't know if it was anxiety, excitement, probably a mixture of both. I started to sweat more, but we would go on dates where within an hour, the sweat patches would meet in the middle. You do not want that to happen on your date. So this is a true story. I, I go to my doctor and I say, look, I'm dating this girl. She's amazing. I've got a bit of a problem. My sweat patches are beginning to meet in the middle. And he could see right there and then the sweat patches, not because of attraction to him or anything like that. But, but he could see this was a problem. He did some tests and, and he said, I know what the problem is. You've got a hyperactive sweat gland. Now, no one wants that when you're beginning a dating relationship. I had a hyperactive sweat gland. I said, is there a remedy for a hyperactive sweat gland? He said, yeah, you got two options. Option number one is I inject your armpit with Botox, to which my response was, or, because that doesn't sound like an option that I'm going to be taking, or option number two is you just find a really good deodorant or antiperspirant. And I've been searching for 20 years. Um, so this is honest... Um, Invitation right now. If you are good at darning wool and back yourself to restore this armpit, and there's some problems on the other one as well, then I would love to chat to you at the end of the service. And if you know of a cracking antiperspirant or deodorant, could you email me at john.carter at kxc.org.uk? That would be amazing. So the point remains, right? This jacket is precious to me, not because I love the jacket, but because of what it communicates. Giving communicates love. Second reason is giving creates possibility. Every church, school, hospital, charity, and the list goes on, exists because at some point in the story, someone was radically generous. I don't know a church that's been planted without generous giving towards it. I don't know charities that exist without generous giving towards it, right? Incredible. Charities, churches, schools, they're sustained by generous giving. But the flip side is true. There are churches that never got planted because there wasn't a release of generosity. There are ministries that never began because there wasn't a release of generosity. This stuff really matters. Whenever you give, you release worlds of possibility. You release a wave of creativity. So if I was to write you a check, a sizable check, you would be like, whoa, you'd probably go home and a creative conversation would begin. What do we do with the money? Or what do I do with the money? Is it holiday money? Do I invest it? Do I put it into savings? In other words, you're in a creative process. Generous giving always releases creativity. Let me give you some stories then. So when B and I went on sabbatical, and um, we were given a gift. This letter was sent to us. Inside was $500. This um, couple knew we were going to America, Mike and Stella, Andrea, lead an amazing church in Margate called Glow Church. And, and they wrote this letter. I want to read it to you because it's really beautiful. So we wanted to invest in your adventure and give you $500 to spend, and here's the catch, in one day. Go have fun and barrel loads of laughter. Eat bad food that is good for joy. Amen. Also something wild and simply be spoiled. And then listen to this message to our three kids, Benj, Josh, and Olive. Thank you so much for sharing your mum and dad with other people. You do it so well. Jesus is so proud of you. 
As I prayed for you, I felt him say that not one moment has passed his eye and he loves who you are becoming. I, for one, am in debt to you kids for being so generous with mum and dad. Ooh, that hit me of like, wow, here's someone wanting to honour the sacrifices, not of B and I, but of our kids. Because it's not just leaders that make sacrifices, the whole family makes sacrifices. This is like basically a message to the kids. $500, one day, go big. So I sat the kids down. I was like, that kind of reckless spending needs some planning. Like, we need to sit down and we need to make a plan. So we, we made a plan and did we execute the plan to perfection? You bet we did. So this was the day. Top left, we began at IHOP, Inter International House of Pancakes. Anyone been there? Amen. Extraordinary. So we went big. Um, and then we went to one of the biggest um, water parks in Southern California. And we had a pause moment for lunch to go big again. Um, then we continued with the rides and the water park. An amazing time. On the way home, because we'd expanded the stomach with the IHOP breakfast and a big lunch, we stopped off at In-N-Out Burger. Anyone been to In-N-Out Burger? Just incredible, that place. Praise God for In-N-Out Burger. So we went there, we did burgers, we did chips, we did milkshakes. We went big again. And then there's a bit of money left over. So we said, look, we're going to split the money three ways. We're going to go to a shopping center, buy whatever you want to remember this moment. And, and I'm telling you, in 20 years day, my kids will remember that moment extravagant generosity that released like a world of possibility and creativity, a moment to honor our kids. It was incredible. Let me give you another example. A few weeks ago, we received a prophetic word as a church that God wanted to crown the year with abundance. It's been a rough year, but God wanted to crown the year with abundance. The week that followed, I got, got a message from someone in our family to basically say they wanted to invest substantially financially into our community. So I, I gathered some of our leaders and said, look, this person wants to invest. Like we've already budgeted, but there were things we said no to in our budgets because we didn't have the resources. So what do we do with this resource? now. And do you know what followed? A dreaming process, a creative process, as we began to imagine what we could step into because of this generosity. You see, when you give generously to the church, to a family member, to whoever, you begin a creative process. It is extraordinary. Thirdly then, giving releases joy. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's a lot of fun. When you give financially, you don't look convinced, convinced. Trust me, it's a lot of fun. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow generously, you will reap generously. And the next verse goes on, for God loves a hilarious giver, as some translations say. A cheerful giver, a joyful giver. Some of the most joyful services I've ever been a part of are those church services amongst people from quite deprived backgrounds and the climactic moment of the service is the collection. People who have very little from a place of poverty choosing to step into generosity and they come dancing down the aisles to make their contributions, celebrating the goodness and provision of God. How extraordinary is that? Such a picture of joy. 
Now, what is true theologically is true scientifically. When you are generous, something happens in your body. Chemicals flood your brain. Endorphins, oxytocin, dopamine. Um, scientists, neuroscientists call it. You ready for it? Boom! Givers glow. I knew it would have that impact. That why, that's why I chose the white background. Givers, givers glow, right? That when people are generous, they begin to radiate. Here's the really cool thing. The way we're created is we have mirror neurons, right? So when someone's in pain and weeping, your mirror neurons fire up and you feel something of that pain, right? That's empathy and it creates connection. It enables you to join in with that moment. But the same is true with giving. When you see someone glowing with giver's glow, your mirror neurons fire up and something within you says, I want to be a part of that. I want to step into generosity. So generosity gives birth to generosity and it gives birth to generosity and it gives birth to generosity. It has a domino effect. That's why I believe generosity has the power to change the world. I'll change slide. Don't worry. It's very, very, bright. Right. So what is a theological foundation for this? Um, One of our value statements at KXE is we want to live in and live out the story of God. We regularly say the story you live in is the story you live out. Our story is all about generosity. Let's just go through it. The creation story where God creates the cosmos from the overflow of his love and then creates humanity in his image and likeness and basically says, I want you to share in this garden of abundance. I want you to delight in my presence and delight in this garden. And then more than that, says, I want to share in the, I want you to share in the rule and reign of created order. That's extravagant generosity, right? God knowing the risk that we could screw things up and did screw things up, but invited us to share in his rule and reign. The story begins with reckless generosity. Let's talk about the fall. What happens at the fall is us turning our backs on God's generosity. So listen to this. This is Romans 1 verse 21. Paul is talking about the effect of sin in unraveling created order. He says this about Adam and Eve and about Israel. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. When did it go wrong? When they stopped giving thanks to God. Everything went wrong when they stopped giving thanks. When gratitude dries up, created order around you begins to unravel because you disconnect yourself from the God of love and the God of life. You disconnect yourself from the source of life. So the fall is disconnecting ourselves from the generosity of God. Let's talk about redemption. Perhaps the best verse known throughout scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave redemption is a reckless act of generosity as God takes on human flesh and lives and dies a brutal death and rises to new life and invites us into this journey towards the renewal and redemption of all things. The cross is reckless generosity, reckless mercy. 
And how does the story continue? It begins or continues with the renewal of all things. And how do we participate in that story? The answer is by becoming like Jesus, by becoming people of radical generosity. So let's talk about the discipleship journey, the journey of becoming. You might have seen this diagram before, that God's being overflows into God's doing. His doing overflows into our being, which overflows into our doing. The discipleship journey begins not with you, but with the character and nature of God. And from the overflow of his nature, he can't help but act in consistency with his character. So from the overflow of his character, he acts in the world. He is generous towards us in sending Jesus to live, die and rise again, right? And because of his actions towards us, Paul would say, we've become a new creation. Like we've experienced transformation from the inside out. And part of that new nature is we're becoming like Jesus more and more generous. And from the overflow of that new identity, we act in the world. How are your flatmates, your work colleagues, those that you do life with, how are they going to know and understand the character and nature of God? And the answer is your actions. Right? It starts with the character of God, overflows into how he acts towards us, which transforms us. And from the overflow of the new identity, we act in the world. We're the image bearers of God. How tragic is it that some people think that the God that we worship is stingy? Why do they believe that? Because they don't see radical generosity in the church. If we want the people around us to know that our God is good and recklessly generous, they need to see it in how we handle our money and all the resources at our disposal. Thank you. (laughs) So our generosity needs to be marked out, and here's the language we use regularly, by recklessness. Now, this is a jarring word because I know it has negative connotations, right? But I think this word is true to the stories of Scripture. Time and time and again, particularly in the Gospels, we see the extravagant, reckless generosity of Jesus. So check out this, Luke 6. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. In other words, the domino effect. It will keep coming back. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, poured into your lap. God isn't stingy, right? When he gives, there's abundance. That is the language of abundance. And Jesus says, with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. In other words, go big in generosity. Think about the parable of the sower. I love the parable of the sower. This is Jesus communicating the evangelistic heart of drawing people into to proclaim the gospel. And he, he basically says only 25% of the seed is going to land on good soil. But the 25% that lands on good soil, it's going to bring about an abundant harvest, like 30, 60, 100 fold. But notice the reckless generosity of Jesus that he's throwing seed where he knows it's not going to land on good soil. In other words, he gives everyone a chance. He invites everyone towards repentance. I'm going to throw some over here towards the Pharisees. They probably won't listen, but I'm inviting them towards repentance and towards the powers. I'm just throwing it everywhere. Only 25% will land and that will bring about abundance, but I'm giving everyone an opportunity. 
That, that's reckless behavior when it comes to a farming strategy. But that is the heart of the father. Think of the, the story of the prodigal son. The word prodigal literally means reckless or extravagant. Tim Keller has written a brilliant book called The Prodigal God. He basically says the titles in our scriptures, the subtitles are not part of the initial manuscripts, the original manuscripts. So a lot of our subtitles say the story of the prodigal son. He would say a better title would be the story of the prodigal God. God is the reckless one in the story, right? He's the one who humiliates himself. Think about it. In an honor-shame culture, the father humiliates himself to welcome back the son. That's a story about extravagance. It would have been a jarring story. It would have offended the crowd. Think of the, the lost sheep story. Jesus leaving the 99 to go after the one that's reckless. Think of the story of the alabaster jar. The lady brings some perfume. She's encountered Jesus. Her life has been turned around and she takes this perfume worth a year of wages, probably 25,000 pounds, and she pours it on the feet of Jesus. And some people were offended by the extravagance, how reckless it was. That money could have been used in so many different ways. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't get it. And that, that moment of extravagance, whenever the gospel is proclaimed, that story will be told in memory of her. She understands true worship. True worship is reckless. It's a beautiful book written on worship. It's called A Royal Waste of Time extravagantly wasting our time, energy, resources to worship. Jesus, how amazing is that? Our generosity should cause people to ask questions. It should be jarring. We should be marked out by recklessness. So let's talk about church giving. Anxiety levels go up one notch, but let's go there. Right? Why, throughout the last 2,000 years of church history, and before that, thousands of years through the, the story of the nation of Israel, why has giving towards God been not peripheral, peripheral but central to the worshipping life of the people of God? Right, let me just explain two festivals that were key um, to this theme of generosity in the story of Israel. The first one is the festival of first fruits. So just when the harvest was, was ripening, getting ready, the people of Israel would take the first fruits, in other words, the first bit of the crop that had ripened, and they would take that, they would bring it to the temple, they'd present it before the high priest. This was about gratitude, by the way. Remember, a lack of gratitude is when created order begins to unravel as we turn our backs on the generosity of God. This was them about remaining connected. So as they would bring it before the high priest, they would tell the story of their deliverance. It was like a worship moment. They'd bring their first 10% of their produce and they'd say, God, you delivered us at the Red Sea and you delivered us from the Egyptians and you led us through the wilderness and you provided manna, bread from heaven. You provided water from rocks. You parted um, the River Jordan. You pulled down the walls of Jericho. You overcame the giants. You settled us in this land. And we want to say we are so grateful. Don't want to ever turn our backs on your generosity and your faithfulness. We want to be marked out by gratitude. So they gave the first 10% as an act of gratitude. It wasn't about generosity, by the way. We're going to get there. Purely about gratitude. After the festival of first fruits, there'd be seven weeks before the next festival, festival of weeks. And we often refer to it as Pentecost. Now, that seven weeks was the most unpredictable seven weeks in the climate of, of Israel. So you could have like intense heat that would scorch the crop and there'd be nothing at the end of seven weeks. 
You could have intense downfalls, which would drown the crop, which meant you'd have nothing at the end of seven weeks. So when the people brought the 10%, the best of their land, they were basically saying, God, we're giving you our best and we're trusting you for the rest. We don't know in seven weeks time whether there'll be anything in our barns or whether they'll be rammed, but we trust that you provide our daily bread that you provide for our needs. It's an exercise of trust, right? And then at the end of seven weeks, they'd gather again at Pentecost. It would be a party. God would have provided. The barns would be rammed. This point, they gave again. They'd already given 10% and then trusted God to provide. And now over and above, they start giving in generosity. Why? Because they want to image God to the world. They want to be marked out by generosity. Now, you know this, right, that spiritual disciplines are never an end in and of themselves. The purpose of fasting isn't to master fasting. The purpose of prayer isn't to master prayer. The purpose of the spiritual disciplines is union with Christ. Why did the people of Israel constantly practice this principle of tithing? Why for the last 2,000 years of church history has the church not had it as a peripheral practice, but front and center, 10% giving towards the work of the kingdom? It's not just to master the practice. It's because they want to grow in gratitude, trust, and generosity. You find me someone white hot in their faith, and I will show you gratitude, trust, and generosity. If you want to grow in your faith, this is an incredible discipline. As you connect with God through gratitude, you learn to put your faith in him and you step out in becoming like him, demonstrating his generosity to the world. So why is it so flipping hard? Some of you are like, yes, yes, still not on board, but yes, really exciting to hear it. Why is it so hard? And, and why does it feel like death? Just be really honest. Why does it feel like death? It feels like death because part of you is dying. Part of you is dying. And you know the part of you that's dying is the part of you that's attached to material possessions. What was that definition of freedom? The virtue of being unattached to material possessions. The reality is to varying degrees, we're all control freaks, right? And we find comfort and a sense of security and identity and, and this illusion that we're in control. And the idea of opening up our hands and relinquishing some resources is like, oh, I, I'd be out of control. I, I'm not sure I'd be able to do that. It would feel like death because part of you would be dying. The part of you that idolizes money and material possessions. C.S. Lewis said, idols always break the hearts of their worshippers. Right, so when you bring all of that stuff to your material possessions, your heart is incrementally being broken. Listen to these words of Jesus. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either they'll hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Some translations say God and money. Mammon's a better translation. This is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus actually creates a name for an idol. He actually calls it, Mammon personifies the idol. And why does he do that? Because he wants to highlight the power that it has upon people. It is destroying your life. Like it is eroding your faith. And I'm going to give it a name so that you wake up to the reality. If you want to experience life in the kingdom of God and freedom, you need to be unattached 
from these material possessions. So when you start giving, honestly, you begin to open up your fist and generosity begins to flow. Like we declare resurrection life because of our story, right? But we also know that there's only one route to resurrection life and that's through the cross. We all know that, don't we, right? Resurrection life is available because of death. You know, the death of Jesus that brings about this newness of life. And as we embrace that story and marked out by that story, as we die to self, that's how we experience resurrection life. There is no other way. There is no other way. You can't have these two masters on the throne. Jesus says it, it doesn't work like that. As Bonhoeffer said, it, if Christ isn't Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. It is hard. It is hard. But it is so, so life-giving. Let me close with this. If you want to step into this, what are some practical things you can do? Number one, give intentionally. We all want to become spontaneously generous, right? We love people, particularly at the bar, that are spontaneously generous. But the only way to become spontaneously generous is to be unspontaneously generous. In other words, to be really intentional about it. This is the Apostle Paul who says, each man or woman should give what he or her has decided in his or her heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. If you want to become spontaneously generous, you need to start with deep intentionality. You need to make a decision, right, in your heart that you're actually going to step forward into gratitude, trust, and generosity. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens with deep intentionality, right? So number one, give intentionally. Number two, give secretly. Jesus says, when you give, your left hand shouldn't know what your right hand is doing. Now, there is a death when we open up our hand and, and relinquish resources. That's death number one. There is a second death, which is we're desperate for people to know when we've been generous, right? I know when I give generously, I'm like, Lord, I just want a few people to know. Not everyone, just just my social media following. I, I want them to know. Glory be to you, but a little bit of the glory to me would be really helpful for my ego, right? So when you do it secretly, there's a second death. Because when you want to do it publicly, it isn't actually love. It's building up your status, your ego, because you want recognition. And Jesus says, if you really want the death that leads to resurrection life in the area of giving, your left hand shouldn't even know what your right hand is doing. That's incredible. So give intentionally. Number two, give secretly. Number three, give regularly. So if you've never given to a church before, here's my encouragement. Just give once, like a, a, a one-off. And you'll wake up tomorrow and you'll realize, wow, it didn't kill me. I thought that might just overwhelm me, but I've done it and I'm still alive and still here. And, and gradually as you keep giving and you keep being generous to others, essentially what's happening is you're flexing a muscle and the muscle continues to grow. This is what the ancients taught about formation. You imitate, you know, the right people, generous people, you practice, 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 and then giving becomes second nature to you. Um, imagine this, a church like ours, where people were practicing this and, and had learned through practice that they couldn't help but be generous. What do you think that would do for the reputation of the church in a city like this? How do you think your reputation might change in your workplace if generosity had become second nature to you? It would transform the relationship between the church and the surrounding culture, right? You imitate and you practice, practice, practice. So this is my encouragement. Give intentionally, give secretly, give regularly. Our vision statement at KXC when we began 11 years ago, to recklessly give ourselves away to God, each other, the people of King's Cross, London and beyond. We wanted a vision statement so big that we would have to grow into it. 
that we would never fully arrive at it this side of eternity, but we would always be growing towards it. This is my prayer. One of my prayers for this next season is we'd be marked out more than ever before by reckless generosity, right? Marked out more than ever before by reckless generosity. Should we pray? So Holy Spirit, we recognize to varying extents, we are not entirely free. We are attached to material possessions. And sometimes that attachment can be suffocating. It breaks our hearts. So we ask you, Spirit of the living God, would you transform our relationship to money? That we wouldn't be owned by our possessions. That we would be unattached so that we could be fully attached to you, so that we could be marked out by generosity. So Lord, I want to pray over anyone in the room who even the conversations about money trigger anxiety or fear, the fear that you won't provide, that you won't look after. Lord, I pray you liberate now and remind us, and maybe for some, reveal to us your goodness, that it's because you are good, we can trust that you're going to give us each day our daily bread. Holy Spirit, come and liberate us from any strongholds that would imprison us when it comes to our relationship with money and liberate us to be free, trusting that you're the God of abundance, the God who provides. Holy Spirit, come.